Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. I was sitting there and I was thinking about it. You know, if, if there's one thing that I know is that the coronavirus will not kill me. Did you know? I, I know that. It will kill. Now, let me tell you why I know that. All right, listen to me. Don't go out there and say, boy, the pastor is presuming something. <laughs> the coronavirus cannot kill me because I'm already dead. Isn't that true? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I, I'm already dead. All I'm waiting for is the transfer, <laughs> right? And I don't know how I'm going to get transferred, but one day I'll be transferred from here to there. But don't feel sorry for me because I died because I'm already dead. But you are too. And if you know that you're already dead in Christ, you don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to be afraid. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're in this year of revival, the year of revival, focusing Every Sunday and all through the week about reviving and renewing our hearts, our families, our church, our nation towards God. And so we're focused on revival. And we've been going through 2 Kings passage by passage to deal with some truths about how to be revived and how to experience revival. Last week, I was preaching over in the traditional service. And I preached in the first part of 2 Kings chapter 6 about the axe head. When they lost, he lost the axe head and how to regain the axe head. So we're following up that, and we're going to the next story. And I tell you that because the message today is very pertinent to believers regarding what we're facing right now and the things and how we're responding to some of the things that that we're facing right now in our world and especially in our nation uh, regarding this virus. So I don't want you to think, well, he just picked that out to beat us over the head with that. No, it's it's just the next passage, Amen. So we're dealing with the next passage. So if it beats you over the head, it's what God chose, not what I chose. Amen. And I want you to see that because this is a great truth and it's liberating and it has to do with revival and it has to do with revival in this, in this state. How do you overcome fear? All right. That's that's how, how do you overcome fear? Now, if we can come to the reality of that and, and in God's word, find the answer to that. That'll be a blessing to us, amen? And we should be able to overcome fear. Matter of fact, a distinction of a child of God is that we can have victory over fear. Listen to me now. A distinction of being a child of God is that we have the privilege and the opportunity of having victory over fear. That's why Jesus when he was in the boat with the disciples and they're anxious about where they're going to die and be buried in the sea, Jesus says, do not be afraid. <laughs> do, do not be afraid. That's why in 1 John where it says, where perfect love is, it casts out. Let's say it again. Where perfect love is, it casts out fear. And the perfect love of God comes in your heart and your life. When you get saved, you become a believer. And so when that love of God comes in your heart, it will cast out fear. So as a child of God, you do have the position and the privilege and the opportunity to have victory over fear in your life. And you need to claim that. 
But I'm afraid that many of us as believers don't experience victory over fear any more than people of the world. Now, people of the world who don't have Jesus and don't have the Holy Spirit, don't have the comfort of God in their heart, I can understand why they'd be anxious. I can understand why they'd be fearful. I can understand they don't know where they're going. I, I can understand that. But a child of God is not in the same position. We have been changed. We have been transformed And we can have victory over fear. So we're going to look at this passage today about how to overcome fear. And I want to tell you about the story. The story actually starts in verse 8. Let me tell you a little bit about the story. It's about the fact that the Syrian army, or the Syrian king named Ben-Hadad, he was warring against Israel. And every time that he would set up a trap and put his camp to where he thought he would have an advantage over the nation of Israel... Elisha, the prophet of man of God, would go to the king of Israel and tell him, you don't want to send your army over there, because if you do, they'll be entrapped by the Syrians. And that happened on a number of occasions. Every time the Syrian king would set a trap, the man of God would tell the king of Israel, don't don't let them go there, because they're going to be in trouble. And the Syrian king realized finally that something is going on. So you know what he said? He said, who among us is for the king of Israel? In other words, we got a traitor among us. Somebody is, is hearing what our plans are, and they're going, they're going to tell the king of Israel about those plans so that we won't be able to entrap them. Who among us is that traitor? When one of the servants of the king said, King, it's not that anybody among your people are traitors, but there's a man of God named Elisha over in Israel And he knows everything you do and everything you think. He knows what you say in your bedroom. He knows everything you think and everything you say. And as soon as you make a plan, that man of God goes and tells the king of Israel about your plans and keeps his nation out of danger. Well, Ben-Hadad was angry. (laughs) You know what he said? Where is that man? Where is that man? I want to go, and I'm going to get him, and I'm going to take possession of him, and he's not going to be able to tell my plans anymore to Israel. So here is an angry king with a mighty army. The Syrian army was was one of the, the strongest armies of that time, and he is out to get Elisha. He's not out to get a city. He's not out to get the nation He's out to entrap and to get Elisha to keep him from being able to share the word of God. So I would say, listen, I would say that the reason that there is danger, the reason that there would be fear, the cause of fear, is because there's a formidable foe. Wouldn't you call him formidable? I mean, the Syrian army, he's angry. And he's out to get Elisha. He is a formidable foe. And that formidable foe coming against you is a cause for fear. A cause for fear. Whenever somebody's coming to get you, whatever that foe might be is coming to get you, it can be a cause of fear. And that's exactly what the Syrian king said. I'm going to go and I'm going to get him. They said he is in the city of Dothan. So he takes his chariots, he takes his horses, he takes his army, and he sends them to Dothan for one purpose, to get Elisha, the man of God, and to bring him back there either to be killed or to be imprisoned to keep him from telling his plans 
to the king of Israel. And so he sends that mighty army. (laughs) Well, during the night, that Syrian army goes and encircles the entire city of Dothan. It's a pretty big army, amen? To be able to encircle the whole city. And, And they got all kinds of chariots and horses and all kinds of men who are on their feet, who are ready to fight. And they're coming there, this mighty army of Syria. That is a formidable foe that causes someone and can cause someone to have fear. Well, that's no different from today. We have a formidable foe, don't we? It's a little microorganism. A little microorganism called the coronavirus. And certainly the coronavirus has killed people. And the coronavirus is invisible. And the coronavirus is contagious. And all of those things are true about the coronavirus. So it is a formidable foe. So what's going to happen here? What's going to happen in this story when that formidable foe comes and it can be a cause of fear? What is going to take place and what is going to be the response to this story? That's what we want to see today. So let's look and see what the responses are to this formidable foe. It's found there, chapter 6. It says there in verse number 14. And he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city, just like we described. Now, look what it says in 15. (laughs) Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servants said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? That's the first response of facing a formidable foe. The first response is this, fear. The fear that's expressed by the servant of the man of God. Now, you got to get in your your picture. He wakes up early in the morning, and his responsibility is to put on the coffee, right? So he gets up early in the morning, and he gets out of his tent. He's wiping, he's clearing his eyes so he can see, and he's walking towards where he's going to make the coffee and get things ready for breakfast because he's taking care of the man of God. But all of a sudden, when he clears his eyes enough, he looks around, and he sees all around the mountains, all around Dothan, there is an army with chariots and horses and men, the Syrian army, that mighty Syrian army that is there. And he knows that that Syrian army is there for a purpose. Matter of fact, he understands that Syrian army is there for his master, for the man of God, which he is attached to. So the Syrian army is there for him. And he sees that, and it's no doubt that they're there. That is a reality, and they're a formidable foe. And his first response is fear. Alas, my master, that is a call of fear. It's a call of anxiety. It's a call of help. It's a call of distress. Alas, my master, it's time to get up, Elisha. (laughs) Uh, You need to come out of the tent. Alas, my master, what do you say? What shall we do? He has no answer. He, He has no help. He doesn't know what's going to happen because this formidable foe is there surrounding them and it looks like that they are done in. Alas, my master, what shall we do? 
Now, why is he full of fear? Here's the answer. Because he sees with his physical eyes. Okay? He sees with his physical eyes. He understands with the capacities of his own mind. And when he sees with his physical eye that foe that's out there, and he understands the capacity in his own mind that there's no way that two of them can defeat an army that's that way, he is full of fear, and he cries out, Alas, my master. Let me tell you something. Anytime you face a foe, anytime you face a circumstance in life, and the only thing that you're able to do is to see it with your physical eyes, you're going to be full of fear. You got that? If, you're, if what you see and what, what you're facing, and it's real out there, if you look at that with your physical eyes, you are going to be full of fear, just like this servant. It's understandable why he cries out. It's understandable that he is full of fear because he sees it with his eyes, and that's all he sees with his eyes, and he has no answers. Let me tell you something. The situation we're in right now, if all you see in regard to the coronavirus is what you see with your eyes, and there's plenty to see, isn't there? I mean, you can read anything and everything, and you watch the news, and they're going to tell you more things than you want to know. And we're absorbed in that, and we just see more and more and more. Well, let me tell you how that works. They'll tell you one thing, and then two weeks later, they tell you a different thing. Amen? Everybody's confused as we are about the whole thing. And they'll make you fearful about this, and they'll tell you, well, you don't got to be fearful about that anymore. All these kind of things. Right? But if all you do is see with your physical mind and physical eyes, and you see that foe out there, then you are going to be full of fear. Understandably so. Understandably why this man, this servant, was full of fear. So the first response to that foe that's coming is fear. But there's a second response. That's the one I want to get to. Look look what it says when he says, Alas, my master, verse 15. Look what happens in verse 16. So he, talking about Elisha, answered and said, here it is, Do not fear. That's the first thing he said. Do not fear. Now the man of God is speaking forth the word of Thank you. For the rest of you, let's wake up just a minute. The man of God is speaking forth the word of God. So what is the word of God? Do not fear. You're going to hear that over and over in the word of God. You're going to hear that over and over in your heart and your experiences in life. You're going to have God continuously come and tell you when you're facing things, do not fear. Do not fear. Now, I'm sure that that servant of God backed up from there and said, what do you mean, do not fear? I mean, well, are you blind? Are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Do you not see all this mighty army out here? It's, it's something to make us a little anxious about this. It, it's something that would cause me to cry out to you as my master for help. He says, do not fear. Now, the reason the the servant was fearful is because he saw with his physical eyes. Well, why is it that the man of God, seeing that same army, they've not disappeared, why is the man of God says, do not fear? Because he sees something different. 
Look there in verse number 16. Do not fear. Here's the answer. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's the answer. He said, we don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. Why do you not have to fear? It's because the army that is with us is greater than the army that is with them. The army that's on our side is surpassing the army that's on their side. Now, that servant, I'm sure he's sitting there saying, well, my problem is I see the army on their side, but I don't see the army on our side. You say there's more on our side than on their side, but I don't see that. That's exactly the truth. He did not see what Elisha saw, so he was full of fear. But Elisha was seeing something that the servant could not see. He was seeing the invisible. He was seeing the unseen. He was seeing the spiritual world that is more real than the physical world. Why is it more real? Because the spiritual world created the physical world. And the spiritual world will exist if the physical world does not exist. The spiritual world is where God dwells in all eternity. And that's what this man of God is seeing. He is seeing the invisible, the unseen realities of life. And when he sees that, he is calm. He has assurance He has comfort in his heart. He's not worried about that foe. He's not worried about the Syrian army. He's not worried about them because between him and them is the army of God, which is ever sufficient. Amen? (laughs) See, the reason he has peace is because he sees something that the servant can't see. He sees the invisible, the unseen. Let me ask you a question. What is it? What is it that allows us to see the invisible? What what allows us to see the unseen? Do you know what it is? It's faith. It's faith. What did Hebrews 11:1 say? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Listen now, the evidence, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence, the, the reality of things not seen. Those who are the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 are the heroes of faith because they had the opportunity of seeing the invisible. They saw the spiritual world. They walked in that realm, and because they walked in that realm and they saw the invisible, it put everything in perspective that was physical. You got that, or is that a little fast for y'all? You you say, well, you, you think that's really true? I absolutely hold your hand here for just a minute and turn over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you think the Apostle Paul walked by faith? You think the Apostle Paul saw the invisible? How is it that he handled all the persecutions and imprisonments and beatings and turmoils and sickness and shipwrecks and whatever? How do you handle that? He tells you right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Listen, therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer body, outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Listen to what he says. While we look not at the things which are, what? Which are seen, 
but rather we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. How did the Apostle Paul do what he did? Because he had the capacity by faith to see, listen now, to see the unseen world. To see that unseen world, that invisible world, that spiritual world. And when he could see that, all things were in perspective. He wasn't worried about prisons. He wasn't worried about persecution. He he wasn't worried about shipwreck. He wasn't worried about any of that. Why? Because he saw what God was doing. And he was a part of what God was doing. So the servant is full of fear because he sees with his physical eyes the man of God. The man of God is not afraid at all because he sees with his spiritual eyes. And between him and the Syrian army is the army of God. He sees that. That servant does see it. So what does Elisha do? He prays. He prays for his servant. But I believe Elisha today. Hold on a second. Listen to me now. I believe Elisha today is standing before Almighty God and he's praying for us. I really do. I I think he's praying for us and I know that Jesus is praying for us and praying is, Lord, open their eyes that they might see. Open their eyes that they might see. They might not be held captive by the things that they see with their physical eyes, but open their hearts that they might see. He prayed that for his servant there in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Listen to what it says. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Open his eyes that he can see with the eyes of faith. Open his eyes that he can see the spiritual world. Listen now. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. (laughs) Don't you know when that servant had his eyes really open where he saw him? He probably turned around Elisha and said, I get it. (laughs) I get it. I can understand. If I saw this, I wouldn't be worried either. Because the army of God is ever sufficient, amen, to do whatever he wants to do and protect us in any way that he chooses. Wow. He was in a secure place, a peaceful place, and now the servant of Elisha enjoys that same comfort and peace because he sees with the eyes of faith. Wow. Let me tell you something. Now listen. Punch somebody. Wake them up, all right? All right. I see you punching your dad. Keep him up. Wake up there. Listen to me now. Hold on a second. Somebody might say, boy, I tell you what, I'd like to, I'd feel good if, if I were Elisha, the man of God, and I, and I knew that the army of God was around me. Let me tell you something. Here, here's one of the neat parts of the story. The army of God was around Elisha, and the army of God was around that servant, even though the servant didn't know it. Isn't that true? He was just as secure without seeing it as he was when he did see it. The only difference is how he responded to it. Because the army of God was already there. 
And the army of God was protecting he and the man of God. And that's the reality. Let me tell you something. You'd say, well, I'll tell you what, Brother Mac. If I had the army of God around me, I'd go handle anything. You got something better than that. You hear me? You have something better than the army of God surrounding you. Let me tell you what you have. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that when you got saved, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That means nothing can penetrate that seal except God would allow it for his glory and for your good. That's about as secure as you can be. That's like the child in the bubble. So you don't have to worry about anything else. He has you sealed. Amen? He also said that he would fill your heart. The son of the living God lives inside of your heart and inside of your spirit. Now, hold on a second. Do you want the army of God outside of your life surrounding you, or you want the son of God inside your life protecting you? I'll answer for you. We want the Son of God inside of us, protecting us. That was what y'all were supposed to say. I mean, I did say, do you want this or you want that? And y'all just sat here looking. You want the Son of God living inside of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is the mighty one of God who lives within you. That's not all of You know what it says in the book of Hebrews? It says that he has sent to us angels who are ministering servants. Ministering servants to minister to each of us and to help us along the way. You're not only sealed by the Holy Spirit, filled with God's Son, you also have angels who are taking care of you, my friend. That is a good position to be in. And bless God, I'm not going to be worried about coronavirus or nothing else in relationship to that because God has me. You understand that? But if you're a child of God, you have exactly what I have. The only difference in me and other people is I know what I have. And, and I spend time in the Word of God for God to remind me what I have. If you find yourself getting anxious, let me ask you to do this little exercise, very simple exercise. Turn the TV off. Stop reading everything on your phone. And spend some time in God's Word and on your face, and you'll find out, God's word is what gives you comfort. You'll find, out what, you'll find out what God thinks about it and what God's doing in the midst of it. I promise you that will help you. Okay? That, that's good advice. That's, that's good advice. And, and I don't want any of you to have fear in your heart and in your life. You say, Brother Mac, do you think this virus is not real? No, it is real. But I just know this, it's not going to defeat Jesus, amen? And it's not going to defeat me, except... Now, if, if something happens to me, you say, well, he died of coronavirus. Don't worry about it. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to glory, amen? I'm waiting to get to go to glory anyway. We're supposed to be all excited about glory, but then we're all scared to death we're going to get there. I mean, hold on a second. Now, are, do you think we can be confusing to the lost world out there? We talk about eternity, and we talk about heaven, and how great it's going to be, and that God takes care of us, and we rest in him, and then we are just like the world. They can't come to us and find any answers, because we're scared as they are. 
And there's all kinds of thoughts about that. And I, I know I'm going to reap some criticism. I don't really care. I don't, I don't care. Somebody, somebody needs to stand forth and say what God says about this. And God is not worried. And God has not relinquished his throne. And God has a plan. He's going to do something in the midst of this. Amen? So somebody needs to stand. Let me tell you the rest of this story. Here's, here's a great thing about this story. Whenever the Syrian army comes down and they're going to take action, it, it, God didn't even use his, his army. You know what? Elisha just prayed. Read it. Elisha prayed and said, God, uh, blind these, this army. And all of them go blind. Now this mighty army who cannot see, they are a helpless group of people. And Elisha goes to them and says, hey, the guy you're looking for is not here. But I'll take you. Y'all follow me. And so can't you imagine this mighty army? They're all having to hold hands and find their way. The horses are, I don't know, they're blind too, but the horses don't know what they're doing. I mean, they're all this, and he, he marches them all over from Dothan to Samaria, which is the capital city. Now, get the picture. The Syrian army goes into the city, and they get surrounded by the wall, and all the army of Israel is surrounding them, okay? They're, they're, they're held captive. And then he prays and says, now, Lord, open their eyes that they can see. And they open their eyes, and they are done in. They're at the mercy of the nation of Israel. The king of Israel says, you want me to kill them all? (laughs) You want me to kill them all? And Elisha says, no, don't kill them. Prepare them a feast. Prepare them a feast. Give them the best meal they've ever had, and then send them on their way home. You know why that was? Total, absolute humiliation. (laughs) Didn't kill them, just fed them and sent them home. Do you know what it says, a little footnote on that? And that stopped the marauding bands of the Syrians ever coming back in Israel. Could you imagine when they got home and they had to report to angry king Ben-Hadad? Hey, guys, how'd it go? You won't believe it. We went blind. Carried over to a different city of Samaria. We got, they had us all captured. Could have killed us very easily. Fed us a feast and sent us to the house. I think we're going to stay here. That's the story. What did, he didn't have to use the mighty army of God. All he had to do was pray. God blinded them. Right? Now, you, you say, well, Brother Mac, that's Old Testament that's, that's the Old Testament story. Well, well, I don't know if y'all know this, but I believe the same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. I believe the same God who does what he did in the Old Testament can do what he chooses to do in the New Testament. And if you don't mind, don't, don't let me wake up to that, okay? If you think you know more about that, you just keep believing it because I'm having a whole lot more fun where I am and where you are. Amen? Now, let me, tell you, let me tell you some verses of Scripture, and I want you to give, take these. We want to read them. For just a second, we'll be finished. But I really believe, I really believe that you need to understand what God's Word says about the truth of who He is and what promises He's given to you. These, these are all promises in God's Word about who He is for you. So turn in the Psalms. Turn to the Psalm very quickly. Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3. We'll be going through the Psalms for just a moment. Psalm chapter 3. This is what it says. 
in verse 6. Listen to these words. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set who have set themselves against me round about. What did he say? David said, I will not be afraid if 10,000 people were surrounding me going to do me in. I will not be afraid. Isn't that just like Elisha? Isn't that exactly what Elisha said? That's David, the man of God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 27. Look at Psalm 27, verse 3. Write that down. Psalm 27, verse 3. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Look at Psalm 34, verse number 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Wait a minute, what now? We just talked about the angel of, of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, what? He encamps around those who fear him. Did you know that he's, did you know the angel of God is camping at your house? He's camping at your house. Is that pretty good? Well, I like that. Then turn to um, Psalm 91. We've read that before, but Psalm 91. Write these down so you can read them again. Verses 6 and 7. Of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon, a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. What a great word of God. All of those written by the psalmist are by David. So just in case, you say, well, anybody else other than that, turn to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. You ever heard of righteous king Hezekiah? Hezekiah was being attacked by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were the mightiest nation in that time. Sennacherib was the, was the king and he was going to defeat, had threatened he was going to defeat Hezekiah. And you got to admit, this is the most powerful nation of the time. And Sennacherib said he's going to come and he's going to defeat Hezekiah. Listen to what Hezekiah says in chapter 32 of Second Chronicles, verses 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the multitude which is with him. For the, one, for the one with us is greater than the one with him. You hear that? For the one with us is greater than the one with him. What does that remind you of? First John chapter 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Listen to what that says in verse 8. Now, don't miss it. With him is only, talk about Sennacherib, with him is only an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. All he has is an arm of flesh. But we have the Lord God Almighty to fight our battles. Same God. Same God. Only one God. Amen. The same God who fights the battles for them in the Old Testament fights the battles for us today. 
and we need not be fearful. Now listen to me. Is this coronavirus a foe? Absolutely. Is it something is it something that would cause people to be fearful? Absolutely. It is everywhere. Amen. So the foe is real. But here's the question. The response, your response is based on whether or not you're seeing with your physical eyes this virus as a foe that can scare you or whether you're seeing with your spiritual eyes and understand that you are in the hand of Almighty God who protects you, watches over you, and secures you, and you need not be afraid. You need not be afraid. You say, well, how can I not be afraid? Pray the prayer that Elisha is praying for you. Lord, open my eyes that I might see. Open my eyes, Lord, that I can see the real truth where you are, your army, your protection. Let me see, Lord, what you are doing and how you are working. And when you begin to see with the eyes of faith instead of the eyes of flesh, you'll have peace. You'll have peace. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.